don't know who needs to hear this, but love is more than telling someone you love them. It's more than being sexually active. You know, like, you have to actually show that you love them, that you want to be with them, that you want to be in their space. So it's definitely actions. And honestly, I don't feel like I will get in a relationship with anyone anytime soon because a lot of people only focus on one thing and that is a sexual connection. And I'm not giving myself to anyone sexually that can't feed me mentally you know like I don't I don't see how y'all can do it I I really don't get it (laughs) um I had someone ask me to be their girlfriend last month and I had to respectfully decline because They tell me, like, they'll tell me they love me. Which, you know, okay. We've known each other for, like, ever, so, okay, whatever. But you don't show it, you know. You do nothing to make me want to be in a relationship with you. Other than tell me that you love me. And that's not enough. Like... We barely talk. We barely text. It ain't gonna work. I like attention. When I'm in a relationship with someone. And if you can't give me attention before we get into a relationship... I know you're not going to be able to give me attention when we get into a relationship. And I am not wasting my time. Like, it's not happening. You have to do things to show someone that you actually want to be committed to them. Loyal to them. And it's just not where it's at. I mean, granted, some females like not talking to the person that they with because they be talking to other people, you know. But if I'm going to be in a relationship with you, I'm going to be solely committed to you because you are my person. I don't date people just to date people. I date people aiming for marriage because I want to get married one day. And if that's not something that you want to do, then do not come over here because, again, you are wasting my time. You know, like, and a lot of people, that's what they like, you know. Oh, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. You know, uh, marriage is just a piece of paper, that type of attitude. And I don't have that type of attitude. I don't like that. So, if that's you. That's fine, you know, to each his own, you do what you do. But it's not me. I want to get married. I want to eventually have another child. I want to spend time with the person that I am with. I 
like to cuddle. I like to watch movies. I like to eat. I like to go places. It don't even have to be a trip like, you know, oh, we're going out of town. We're going to do this. But I like to go places. I like to eat in the park. I like to take walks on the beach. I like to go to the beach in general, you know. I like to spend time with my family. And if you can't do that and that's not something that you are on, do not waste my time. You know, like, it, it's so simple. It's so simple. I'm, like, the easiest person to love and make happy and yet and still. People don't do it. People can't do it. You know, like, it's, it's just stay in your lane and talk to people that like what you like. Don't be out here trying to get with people that you know you really don't want to be with because all you want to do is have sex like I'm not one of those thank you I'm beautiful thank you you know I'm cute you can see yourself waking up next to me thank you thank you thank you but for the last time if you do not want to get married and be with me for the rest of your life and have kids and you know don't come over here but you guys guess what i did i found the book i was determined to find this book y'all like i was not gonna start another story with y'all because like i said when we start getting to the good stuff the books always disappear and i was like no like this is a really good book and we like just started like only on chapter eight come on now we're not gonna start no other book and not finish this one so if you remember what we left off, we have to dive back in to this book. The book is Controlled Burn by Aaron Soderberg Downing. And we are on chapter 8. And I'm praying you can hear me pretty good. It is 12.30 a.m. So, you know, there ain't no lights on and all that good stuff. But here we go. Chapter 8. Kid, I woke early monday morning to find grandpa howard standing in my bedroom doorway silhouetted by light from the kitchen get dressed and get a move on it was still dark outside even darker in my room and grandpa was barking orders that i wasn't ready to follow at this time of day so early i groaned i glanced to check the clock 604 i never even got up this early on school days Technically, this was summer break, which was supposed to mean leisurely mornings. Griffin was at school. Grandma had to work at the Y store today, and I had a whole day, the whole summer really, stretching out empty before me. What's the rush, Pops? I'm ready to go, he said. This didn't answer the question of why I had to get up at the crack of dawn. I pulled my blanket and sheet over my head and hoped he'd forget I was there. Be outside in 10 minutes, he said. Be left a muffin and some fruit in a bag on the counter for you. You can take it with you and eat it later. As soon as he closed the den door behind him, I groaned into my pillow and reluctantly rolled out of bed. I pulled a pair of sweats and a t-shirt with Ann's hockey team logo on it and shuffled into the bathroom to brush my teeth in the days. There was a soft canvas lunch sack 
sitting on the kitchen table. I assumed this was for me. I peeked inside and saw a promised muffin, freshly baked in a container of fruit. There was also a juice box, the kind I used to get in my lunch in elementary school. I smiled, grabbed the bag, and headed out the door. Outside, Bear greeted me with a head bump against my thigh and a small moan. Hey, big guy, I said. You're up early too, huh? When you finish chatting with the wildlife, I'd love to get going. Grandpa was sitting astride his motorcycle. Helmet on, bug screen flipped up. There was a second helmet resting on the back of the bike. That helmet doesn't look like it will fit bear pops. I said, giving Grandpa a weary look. I guess he's more of an extra large. Very funny, Grandpa Howard said in a humorless tone, gesturing to the helmet. Put it on and hop on. Nope. Nope. I told you I don't do motorcycles. They're death vehicles. I was pretty sure I caught a hint of a smile play at the corners of Grandpa's mouth, but he swallowed it down before... It became a full detail. I've been driving this cycle for 50 years, he sighed. I wouldn't let you on it if I didn't know it was safe. I crossed my arms. You've been driving this thing for 50 years? Even more reason to not get on the death mobile. Shouldn't it be condemned or ratted out by now? Grandpa coughed, and I think it might have been to hide a laugh. I lift an eyebrow to show him I had noticed. Not this exact motorcycle, he clarified. There have been a few different ones over the years, but this one's my favorite. Why? I asked. Because it's the only one that isn't a crushed heap of metal on the side of the highway. Because it fits two riders which means I get to take a friend along, and this summer, that friend is you. Grandpa fixed me <laughs> with a firm stare. Now come on, we've got work to do. He turned the key and rubbed the motor. Bear scored away, probably heading toward his little hut in the backyard for another hour or three of sleep. Smart dog. I closed my eyes, crossed my fingers, and hoped the prayers I'd said at yesterday's morning's church service would protect me today from certain doom. New Maya, I muttered through clenched teeth. Then I tossed my steak. Then I tossed my sack of breakfast in the little storage box on the back of the motorcycle and climbed aboard. The first few seconds on the back of the cycle felt very strange especially since grandpa was driving slow and it felt more like we were riding on a noisy tandem bike that no one had to pedal. I kept my eyes closed while we breezed by Griffin and Wendy's house. When we turned onto Main Street, the cycle leaned dangerously far to one side and I eked out a little scream inside my helmet. We were halfway through town before it stopped feeling weird to wrap my arms tight around my grandpa's soft wool jacket. He turned on some country music and cranked it up just loud enough that we could both hear it through our helmets and over the sound of the wind. By the time we shot out 
the other end of town, my eyes were wide open. I began to appreciate the cool feeling of fresh morning air whipping against my hands. My sweatpants were fluttering in the wind, pressed tight against my knees, but I was shielded from the most of the wind by Grandpa's firm back, and I began to relax and enjoy the ride. I still didn't know where we were going, but I was just curious to find out and happy to be invited along on Grandpa's adventure. As Grandpa drove down the desolate highway, I watched the trees and signs blur into a foggy comet of colors as we buzzed past. There was a tiny old airplane propped up in someone's front yard outside town with a big for sale sign hanging from the propeller. We passed a smoky bear sign, Fire Bear, as Amelia had always called him, holding a sign that said, only you can prevent forest fires. Under that was a changeable sign that said, fire danger medium. The forest was thick on either side of us, but at one point I caught sight of a pair of deer leaping through the undergrowth, their puffy white tails flickering like little beacons amid all the green. Just a few miles outside town, Grandpa slowed down and pulled over to the side of the highway. The motorcycle's tires popped and crackled over the loose stones on the side of the road. Suddenly, we veered right onto a small gravel road that I probably wouldn't have noticed was even there if we'd been driving by in a car. Tree branches hung low overhead and the road was narrow. It was the tight fit a car. It was too tight to fit a car down this lane without scratching up the sides. But Grandpa and I rode smoothly down the center of the road, trees stretching toward us from either side. The motorcycle bumped and bounced over the rough surface, but I had already gotten used to the loose feeling of riding on the back of a cycle. About a half mile down the hidden road, we came to a dead end. The road just stopped. Grandpa turned off the ignition we both pulled off our helmets and the sounds of the forest came alive around us wind whistling through the trees bird calls and surround sound the crunch of grandpa's boot against the loose rocks underfoot where are we i asked grabbing my bagged breakfast out of the storage box i reached into the sack and pulled off the muffin top delighted to find it was still just a tad warm from grandma's oven. Grandpa set up a narrow trail that led sharply uphill. He turned back, I'll show you. I shrugged and followed. It felt good to stretch my legs and I like to think the clean forest air was a salve for my damaged lungs. My toe, still taped to its neighbor, wasn't throbbing anymore. So I had no trouble keeping up with grandpa's brisk pace as we walked up the trail. I tried to take my take in my surroundings, but I was soon huffing and puffing and I found if I didn't stare straight down at my own two feet, I kept tripping on rocks and roots that were sticking out of the ground at odd angles. So it came as a complete surprise when suddenly we emerged from the forested trail and stepped onto a huge mass of rock 
at the top of a clearing. And then I noticed the tower. Straight ahead of me was a tall mass of steel and iron stretching up into the sky. High above the world, I recognized it at once. This was the fire tower. The one Grandma had pointed out on the way into town Saturday afternoon. I shuddered as I noticed the endlessness set of stairs that led up up to a looming platform a million miles above us. Come on up, Grandpa said, breaking the silence. He stepped onto the bottom stair and the tower. He stepped onto the bottom stair of the tower and began to climb. I'll show you around. I pointed at the sign hanging a school at the top of the first set of metal stairs. It says, no trespassing by order of the Forest Service. That sounds official. I am the Forest Service, Grandpa said, then added, retired Forest Service. This is my tower. Are you telling me you own this tower? I asked, skeptical. The government owns the tower, but I've been keeping watch up here for years. They assigned me to fire watch duty back when I first joined the Forest Service, and then I picked it back up again after I retired. Grandpa had just said more words in a row than I think I'd ever hear him say or ever heard come out of his mouth before and none of them made much sense. So you sit up there and watch for fires in the forest, I asked. Yes. Don't they have drones or something to do that? There are planes that scan the area, Grandpa said, sounding a little agitated. But no fancy technology will ever be better than a human eye. I cocked my head. No offense, but I argue that a plane can probably cover more ground than your view from this tower. I grinned at him. He did not smile back. Do they pay you to sit up there and watch for fires? I asked, craning my neck to try to figure out exactly how far one could see out the top of the tower. How often do you do this? Have you ever actually spotted any flames? Suddenly, I felt nervous. What if there were a fire and we were trapped way up here, out in the middle of a giant wood pile? We were several miles up a hill in a wood-filled forest that could easily go up in flames at any second. I come out here every day, Grandpa said, answering only one of my questions. I wasn't sure I wanted to know the answer to the third thing I'd asked. Every day? That seemed a little extreme, but I wasn't going to say it out loud. Forest fires don't take weekends off, Grandpa said. He set off the stairs again, bounding up two at a time, like a man half his age. Your grandmother doesn't like the idea of leaving you home alone at the house, so whenever she's working, you're going to come out here with me. So you may as well get used to it. You'll like the view. Come on up. I can't, I said, and just looking at the stairs was making me feel nauseous. 
I'm afraid of heights. Grandpa gave me a look that told me he didn't approve. Pops was the kind of guy who seemed like he'd never been afraid of anything. But even his disapproving look wasn't going to change my mind. This was too much. How could I be expected to climb up a rickety falling apart tower and actually search for fire when all I wanted was to never see or hear a fire of any kind again? Yeah, no, I said more to myself than to him. Not happening. Suit yourself, he said. Then he turned and headed up the tower stairs, leaving me alone in the middle of the giant rock on the top of the hill lost deep in the woods wanting nothing more than to be able to climb up that tower after him just so I didn't have to be alone with my own fears alright you guys night night